Hello and thank you for joining us on the Praise Christian Center podcast. I am Pastor Kofi Banfo and I'm here with my wife Jane. We hope you enjoy today's message and are blessed by it. Please remember to connect with us on social media and through our website. Enjoy. teaching a series that I began last week called Staying in Peace in Our Times, Staying in Peace in Our Times, or Staying Peaceful, sorry, in Our Times, Staying Peaceful in Our Times, and last week I I taught on something I titled Don't Lose Your Peace, and before I do a quick review and get to today's session where I will be ministering on something I've titled Beware of the Thieves of Peace. They are anxiety, worry, and fear. Each of, the three, uh, each, of the, each of the three I've mentioned are big in itself, but just want to take you through briefly. But before I do, I want you to listen to the words of this song, and I'm going to read some scriptures and that I listen to often myself. And if I could sing, I'll be singing this song for you right now. Listen to the words. You are. 
always faithful. You're always faithful. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank God for Chris Tomlin. What a gift to the body of Christ. Songs that are filled with the word of God. I wanted, to hear, I wanted you to hear that because I read a scripture to you last week. The God of angels armies. When Joshua entered the promised land and he saw somebody there and he says, who are you? And then I believe it was Jesus Christ. And he says, I'm the captain of the host of the Lord's armies. And, and last week I read to you Psalm 23. And don't lose your peace. That... God wants to be your shepherd. He wants to be your shepherd also because he goes ahead of you. And I felt that so strong in my heart. That's why I wanted you to listen to that song that not only is he the shepherd of your soul or your center, but wherever you go, any situation, before you get there, even before you get into a trial, well, he sent me to tell you he goes ahead of you. He goes ahead of you waiting for you there. Then he, he wants to be your shepherd to lead, guide, and shield you as well. So he goes ahead of you. Then he wants to lead you, and then he wants to shield and protect you. So come with me to John 14, 27. I want to make four points quickly, then we'll get to today's session on, on reviewing Don't Lose Your Peace. John 14, 27 is really my foundational text. Peace I leave with you. This is Jesus Christ. My own peace I now give and bequeath to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Stop allowing yourselves to be agitated, disturbed. And do not permit yourselves to be fearful and intimidated, cowardly, and unsettled. Jesus, on his parting to us, he says, peace I, live, I leave with you. Not just any peace. He's talking about the peace that he embodied himself, that enabled him to walk through the valley of the shadow of death himself to walk to that cross. That same peace, he says, I bequeath. I've imparted that to you. Not as the world gives. So he says, because I have put this incredible calmness and undisturbed composure in you, don't allow your center to be agitated. Don't be fearful. Don't allow anything to intimidate you. Then in the same verse, John 14, he says, and I, before that he said, and I have asked the Father. To give you another, the Holy Spirit. He, he's going to be a comforter, to comfort you. He's going to be a strengthener, a standby by you all the time, an advocate. He will speak for you in the times you have to speak up in front of your boss, in front of, in the court, any situation where you feel intimidated. Remember, you have an advocate. 
He's also a helper for you, the student. He wants to help you with your studies if you will let him. So he's your advocate, he's your strengthener, your peace, your comforter, your strengthener. He's by you all the time. So he says, I will ask the father for another. Not only do I go ahead of you, but also there's somebody inside of you. And he wants us to become more and more aware of the abiding, powerful presence of the Holy Spirit within. That you're never alone. You're never alone. Then in John 14, same verse, 30, 30, same verse, he says this. I will not talk with you much more. For the prince, the evil genius ruler of the world is coming. That's Satan. So in a sense, the savior and redeemer knew that Satan is going to wreak havoc and has wreaked havoc since the garden. He says, for, our, for he is coming. But look at what Jesus says. And he has no claim on me. He has nothing in common with me. There is nothing in me that belongs to him. You know why? Because he's a thief. I told you last week, he's not after to kill or destroy your life. He wants to also steal your peace. But he can only also, note, steal your peace if you have something in you. And I'm going to show you that in a couple of weeks' time. There are things in us that enable him to come in us and steal our peace. Jesus said, but he has nothing in me. So my, 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 my question or my statement to you and to myself is that at all times, I hope that there is nothing in you because he's coming, Jesus said, but he has nothing in me. That always we want to check our hearts, our center, that there is nothing in us that he can use to steal from us. You hear that? Amen. Then verse 4, already, my fourth point, I already shared that with you, that he wants to lead, guide, and shield you, Psalm 23. He says, he called himself, I'm the good shepherd. Not just any shepherd. He says, I am the good shepherd. I risk my life for you. I laid it down for you. I'm a good shepherd. Because he says he wants to guide you, lead you, and bring you. Then we finished last week with Colossians 3.15. That Jesus says that, let the peace, the undisputed calm that comes from God. I'm paraphrasing what? Be guide and mount garrison over your heart. Peace, we said, was soul harmony. That means if you're looking for balance in your life, it's not really just eating your vegetables and drinking your water. Balance in our lives comes from peace. But that peace is I want. It's an undisturbed composure. So no matter what is happening in your life, or in our world, or in our city, our nation, he says. For you, the believer, I have put something tangible in your heart. You just need to draw on it. You know, whenever my husband is traveling, we have this long-standing joke. When he's about to leave, before he gives me a goodbye kiss, I said, Not chop money, I'll be African for, where's the money I'm going to live on? Whilst you're gone. Then we laugh, then he goes, because he says, Jane, Abi, you know where all the money is. I do know where all the money is. But it's just like that. Jesus said, I put peace in your heart. Then you said, but I'm scared. He said, you know where it is. You know what it drawn to face your boss. You know what it drawn to face the lack of finances. Peace is calm, undisturbed. It's, it's there. That's what is in your heart. So today, I want to talk about three things that have the potential to steal your peace. Beware of them because they're coming in our lives every day. 
their anxiety, worry, and fear. And they are big in, in the three of them. And I have a whole teaching I've done before on living fearlessly and courageously, which I talk a lot about that. But come with me, please, in your Bibles, as we look at this, we'll start with anxiety. Philippians chapter 4, hallelujah, verse, chapter 4, verse 6, if you please. Philippians 4, verse 6, I'm reading from the Amplified Version. You know this by now, anyway. I read verse 6. Do not fret or have any anxiety about anything. When I read this and whenever I read this, I say, God, this is a tough one. It's not have some. He says, do not fret or have any anxiety about anything. But in any and every circumstance and in everything, by prayer, petition, and definite request, with thanksgiving, continue to make your request known to God. Because he shows you how you get rid of anxiety and worry. He says, when anxiety and worry comes to your heart, your center, your soul, your will, your mind, your emotions, make a definite request to me. Bring it, make a request with thanksgiving and bring it before me. And then verse 7, and God's peace, yes, our word again, shall be yours. Remember, it's in you, but it needs to be released. And God's peace shall be yours. That tranquil state of a soul assured of its salvation. That means that peace enables when you've made a request about any issue in your life, or your children, your family, your relationship, when you've made a request, guess what? That tranquil state of a soul, that means you know categorically that he's going to save you. He has done it. A soul, what? Assured. That means an assurance. So whenever we are disturbed, we are agitated, we are unsettled, it means that we've lost our peace. So that's like a check there. Verse 8 and for the rest, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is worthy of reverence and is honorable and seemly, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely and lovable, whatever is kind and winsome and gracious, if there is any virtue and excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, Think on, weigh, and take account of these things and fix your minds on them. So he's saying, when worry, stress, anxiety comes to your soul, make a request to me. God is saying, make a request with prayer and thanksgiving. Then when you've done the request, the outcome, if you believe and you are assured that I'm going to do it, Peace, that tranquil state is yours. Then he said, following that, then now begin to think, what did I do for you last year? What did I do for you before? What is lovable? He has done some things for you. He brought you here this morning. So he has done something. At least he brought you here today. So he says, now fix your mind and weigh your mind on those things. And that is what keeps you from worry and anxiety. So when it starts to come, fix your mind, Colossians says, and keep it fixed. 
And I'm going to show you at the end of the teaching today some practical ways to do that. Verse 9. Practice what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. And model your way of living on it. And the God of peace, that it is again, of untroubled, undisturbed well-being will be with you. The, the word of God is saying to us that really we can't just come and be hearers of the word and not do it. He said, practice what you have learned. You know, I shared in the first service that it's a scripture in um, Corinthians. I can't remember it, but I paraphrase it that I've added to my arsenal. I have a couple of scriptures that I use to guide my life. And it says something like this, that I don't want after I have preached the gospel and all things pertaining to it, to be a hypocrite or a castaway. And, and, and I use it because I say, so I go home, you know, I don't know how Pastor Kofi does it, but I, I listen to my sermon again. I didn't used to, I listen to the word in it for me, and, and then in how I eat and, and modulate my life, I, I, have, I ask the Holy Spirit to help me with self-control, because I don't want to be a castaway. Not just, he says, Paul says, the gospel and everything else pertaining to it. So I want to make sure that in all areas of my life, I'm not perfect, but that I'm modeling what I'm teaching to you. So this, this is, this, these scriptures I live on, and I'm going to share some things, personal things with you. But come all the way to verse 5 of the same chapter, um, Philippians 6, but verse 5. I, I read that at the end, verse 5. Before he begins to say, don't fret or have any anxiety. He says this in verse 5. Let all men know and perceive and recognize your unselfishness, your considerateness, and your forbearing spirit. For the Lord is near and he's coming soon. The King James says, let your moderation be known to all men, for the Lord is at hand. What is he saying? Before he began to say, do not fret worry or have any anxiety about anything he says the lord is near isn't that what i began with that always remember the lord is near is near and let your forbearance that means the the way that you and i navigate life is that the lord is near so let me give you some definitions of of anxiety Anxiety is excessive worry about life circumstances which have no factual or logical basis, and it persists on a regular, a daily basis for a significant period. It's excessive worry about life circumstances. So those circumstances are real, but you, you focus on them, and they have no factual, and I'll come to worry momentarily, these circumstances that you're worrying about, they have no factual or logical basis and they persist on a daily basis for a significant period. Then I'll give you another definition of another disorder. This one is a diagnosis. You have to get a psychiatrist to give you that. It's called GAD, GAD, Generalized Anxiety Disorder. And that is a severe form of anxiety. And that is when you feel anxious most of the time. It is persistent feelings of anxiety without a cause, disproportionate to the cause which disrupts, look at the key, normal life. So you can't live life. Remember, Satan is a thief. 
So when you don't deal with worry, we wouldn't define worry in a minute, then it becomes anxious. There's, there are two are different, are different. And then on a persistent daily basis, you can't navigate your life. You take medications to wake up, to sleep, do all of that. You know, in the first service, I was saying this, that I am not speaking this as a psychiatrist. So I'm speaking the way God says it. God doesn't tell us to manage our anxiety. Because in medication, we manage it. God says, get rid of it. And I'm going to show you what happens in the brain when we have anxiety. He says, get rid of it. Because the God of undisturbed peace and calm is in you. And I'm going to show you, I have walked this. You see, these are scriptures I have walked in my own life and still walking. To God to deliver me from fear and anxiety. So anxiety is what we define as a future-focused emotion. So why worry? I come to worry. Worry is the mental part of it. So anxiety is future-focused. It's about persistent feelings about the future with, without any, any facts. Then you feel anxiety in your body. That's why we call it a future-focused emotion. When you feel anxiety, I shared it, I've shared that when I was suffering from bullying and fear, I held all the anxiety in my stomach. The Holy Spirit took me through a journey more, more than 30 years ago and showed me this even before I became a therapist. And so I had lots of ulcers until I gave birth to my first child and then it, I was, the Lord healed me. I, had it, I held it all in my stomach. And I'm going to show you how the, the, the colon is suppressed in anxiety, leading to all these diarrhea and all those things. So that's what happened to me. So I held mine. But here's the thing. You need to learn to pay attention to what is happening in your body. I have been fortunate, again, as a therapist. It's no secret. Every therapy has to go through, has to have a therapist. But one of the things I gained in my personal therapy, because also of working a lot with trauma, was how to be sensitive to my own being. So if you don't pay attention... So now, whenever something is happening in my daily life, and, even, and then I feel something in my stomach, some people hold it in their chest. You know, somebody told me after the first service, always, it's here when I have things, events. So I said, now. So when I feel here, I begin to say, Lord, what is it? I nail it. I don't let it persist. I'm going to show you why. You, you nail it. Pay attention to what is happening inside you. I read you the scripture last week in Isaiah 32, 17, and 18, that the effects of righteousness will be peace and confident trust forever. And my people shall dwell in peaceable habitations, internal and what? External. That means that God wants this habitation always to be peaceful. Amen. So pay attention to what you're feeling. If you have tensions in your body, don't just grab the ibuprofen immediately. Ask what's going on. Nail it. Because guess who is inside you? The unction that abides. If you ask him, he wants to lead, guide. We saw that last week in Psalm 23. But most people don't listen. The way you listen is when you're quieter. When you're still, we hear his voice more. Anyway. So that's what anxiety does. So in anxiety, you, it's, it, you have the psychological and the emotional come together. So the psychological is the thoughts. The thoughts are rumination, thoughts that are, I'm no good, you know, I will never make it, you know, I'm going to die, this will happen to me, you know, I have a friend who can't even say the word cancer. She says, the C, the C. I said, say it, Abby. Ah, 
What's he going to do to you? You know, because we've seen so many other friends have that. Say it. And we'll look at this towards the end. So the psychological part of anxiety is the, is the thoughts. Then the emotional part is the emotions that come. So what causes anxiety? Or what are the triggers of anxiety which then becomes generalized anxiety disorder? Anxiety is triggered by things like uncontrollable losses in our life. Loss of a loved one, a job, or, or something important. And so anxiety can be brought on by trauma, by abuse, or even by rigid upbringing and all of that. So the way that you manage, are you with me so far? You mind that it's an out of control. You know, if, if, if it was rigid upbringing, for example, and you were raised in, quote unquote, the typical African family that in, in my day, the 60s, where if they ask you to do something you didn't, you just got this, yeah, yeah. We saw a man in Glasgow doing that to his child. We went, oh my goodness, in, lo- in this country, this man must be careful. Well, you just get that. If you're raised with that, remember, you want to say something. Let's, I'm using that as an example to a parent, but you can't. So it's all internalized in you. So there's this feeling that you can't control. You can't do anything about it. So that persists. This is anxiety going back, and it becomes something that stays in you. So you manage the out-of-control feeling. Are you with me? with anxiety. Next week, I want to talk about anger because a lot of anger is stress. The other side of anxiety is anger. For some people, depending on your temperament, how your makeup is, anxiety is powerlessness, right? Because when the feelings are debilitating, your hands, the palms get sweaty, or for me, it was my stomach, or your heart is beating, the bronchial tubes dilate, palpitations, all of that, you're out of control. But for some people, anger is what, how they do their anxiety. Because ang- it's more powerful to be angry than the powerlessness. You see the difference? So some people, it's, they choose the anxiety where it makes them more of a victim. You know, they just have these feelings. And for some, they display it through anger. I haven't lost anybody, have I? So, and panic disorder is also a part of that. So panic is regular, recurring attacks, which are characterized by nausea, sweating, palpitations, feelings of dread or trembling. And what happens with anxiety, panic, and all of these feelings is that we all get it somewhat. When I come to fear, I will explain. But when you think you're going to get a heart attack sometimes, you think something's going to happen to you. So and the things that you are thinking, that you are dreading, the fear, the foreboding fear, and the feelings, guess what? It never happens. But guess what? Your body is left reeling from it. So you feel so weak and drained. That's why they give you all the medication to help you sleep and calm down and all of that. Anyway, what is worry? Can I get that definition? Worry is, I call it, is the mental part of anxiety. You see what the scripture we read says, do not fret or have any anxiety about anything. Proverbs 12, 25, it's not in my notes. It says, anxiety in a man's heart or a woman's heart weighs it down. So when you are weighed down like depression, pressed down, you can't really be victorious and do your life. It weighs it down. So worry is circling a problem. Over and over again, you feel uneasy, anxious, you fret, you torment yourself, you suffer from disturbing thoughts. 
So worry is the mental part of anxiety. In worry, you circle a problem over and over again in your mind, but it gets you nowhere. Right? That's what it does. Nowhere. Experts say 85% of what we worry about never happens. Let's, let's read some scriptures. Matthew 6, if you please. I hope this is clear. Say something to me, please. It helps me. <laughs> it helps the Holy Spirit to know that as well. <laughs> Matthew 6, 25. This is a big counseling session. You're getting for free. Well, if you give an offering, it goes towards Praise Christian Center. But I'm not the pastor, so it's still a free counseling session. I'm the substitute pastor who is a therapist. You're very blessed this morning. I, I think you are. I love upsetting the devil. I want to see God's people free. So this is really, I'm passionate about this kind of teaching. I want to see people happy. Matthew 6, 25. Therefore, I tell you, stop being perpetually uneasy anxious, you see they're all connected, anxiety, worry, and fear together about your life. It's always about our lives, what you eat, maybe not so much, what you drink, but that's really about provision, about your body, what you shall put on. It's not life greater in quality than food and the body far above and more excellent than clothing. In the King James Version, verse 25 says, take no thought, saying. It means that thoughts will come, but don't say it. I love that translation. It says, take no thought and then say it. That's why I said, pay attention to what is happening in your inner life, because it is the inner life that governs the outer life. Amen. Verse 26, it says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father keeps feeding them. Are you not worth much more than they? I tell the story many years ago when Sinead was at university and I went to her room one morning. I don't know what I, was, I went to do. I'm very nosy anyway. I am a nosy parent. I like to think, I used to think I was the fourth member of the Trinity. I and the Holy Ghost sorted and found things out. So I was in her room and then I saw that she had put her journal where she wrote spiritual things, not her diary. Thank you very much. I'm not that bad, you know. I have sins I need to confess, but it's not that bad. So I saw the journal on the bed, and I'm thinking, should I? Shouldn't I? Temptation comes to everybody. We get to tell all our stuff to you to help you. Why we tell, I don't know. I think it's to help people. So I can, should I? Shouldn't I? So I read what she had written that morning. Oh, my goodness, it's, it blessed me. And I did tell her afterwards, you know, I, she had written there, God, I looked out of my window. I'm paraphrasing it this morning, and I saw the birds out there. She said, and they were fearless. They were just flying up and down. They were fearless. And I looked at them, God, and I thought about what you said, that you take care of them. Look at what we just read. You feed them, it says, and keep on feeding them. How much more you won't take care of me? And when I finished reading it, I too went and looked out of the window. <laughs> and the birds were gone. It was a bit later <laughs> in the day. Whenever... Scripture is saying you worry about your life. You think you are less than a bird. I didn't say it. It says, I keep on feeding them and feeding them. Not once. 
Why won't he feed them? He's talking about provision. He wants you to get it. That's why he said, look, go and go bed watching. That's why I went bed watching. Go, he says, go and look at them. He says, I feed them. And I keep on feeding them. Are you not much more than they? See, worry, you know, you know, I did a study many years ago, just a scientific study, and I saw that th- this part of our brain, this part here called the cranium, our skull, the cranium, it's, it's a rigid structure, and he has no room for expansion. So expansion comes to the cranium through worry, stress, it causes and forces a rigid structure to expand. Headaches, migraines, they come from that. It's a force on the, and pressure. And the psalmist says in the book of Psalms, God, you have made us, for you know my frame. So he says, don't worry. You know, Pastor Kofi did a teaching years ago that comes to my heart right now on casting all of your cares. And the way he did it was that he wrote, he says, all, what are your cares? Your children, your job, your future, will I make it? You know, will this happen? Will I be healed of this? Will this happen? He says, write them all the cares. Then he says, he says, casting all your cares on him. So he says, literally take all the cares you've written down. And say, Lord, casting means to throw away from. So you're saying, God, I'm throwing all of these concerns to you. So when you throw it to the Lord, who has them? Come on, who has them? So every time you pick it up, you need to go and give it back. You see, concern is worry that you have not taken to the Lord, then it turns into worry. So you can say, I'm concerned for my children. But when I continue to dwell on that, they won't make it, then it has turned to worry. So when concerns come to our heart, we take it to him by definite request. We just read it. Are you getting this? So it doesn't turn into what? Worry and then anxiety. Where now you're reeling from it that this is really bad. So worry is that mental part in us. Let's continue reading this. Verse 28. And why should you be anxious about clothes? Consider the lilies of the field and learn thoroughly. He says, learn how they grow. They neither toil nor, nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all these magnificences, excellence, dignity, and grace was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and green, and tomorrow is tossed into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Another big point about worry, that when you worry, it means you have little faith. Really, the opposite of worry is doubt. It means you're saying, God, you know who you say you are. You can't do it. I thought maybe if we break it down like that, the Greek word in the Vines Dictionary for worry means a mind that is divided. Simply, that's the definition. It means when you worry, you've divided your mind. One part says, I will believe God. One part says, no, I don't. Bad will happen. How can a divided mind be good for your, first of all, your mental health and also for receiving anything from the Lord? Are you getting this? Amen. You know, so he says, that 31, do not worry and be anxious. He says it several times, saying, what are we going to have to eat? What are we going to have to drink? What are we going to have to wear? 
for the Gentiles, the, the heathen wish for and crave and diligently seek all these things. And your heavenly Father knows well that you need them all. He knows them, but he wants you to come to him. We read that last week. Come to me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden, and I will cause you to have rest. Sometimes the Father just wants us to come like children, and, just, and then he just holds us and says, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. You are here now, aren't you? Touch your heart. You're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. Your children are going to be okay. Sometimes it's not so much for a long prayer, but just to come to the Father. I said, Papa, Papa me, mon père, in Ghana, I'll say, Ja, Father, just come, just for comfort. Just come. And sometimes he'll just say, it's okay. You're going to be okay. That's all. Come. Because he doesn't want you to worry. Verse 33, but seek Aim at and strive first of all for his kingdom and his righteousness, his way of doing and being right. Then all these things will be given to you. We read Psalm 23 last week, verse 6 says what? And goodness and mercy shall follow me. But at the end he says, because I dwell where? In the house of the Lord and his presence is my dwelling place. And I ask you, where do you live? Because where you live is what determines how much peace you're, you're manifesting. If you live in his presence, then he says, all these things that the Gentiles seek after, that the Joneses want, I'll give them to you. Where do you live? That means in your soul. Where do you live? Let's come to fear. We're looking at fear now. So worry is also another thief of, of, of peace. Fear is a distressing emotion aroused by impending pain or danger, whether real or imagined. Fear is what? It always starts as a feeling. It's an arousing. So it's a, it's a sensation that begins to happen in your body. And it's of impending pain, danger. It's either real or imagined. Evil or real or imagined. Remember, fear... It's a natural response. Our bodies are designed and geared to fear so that it protects us from danger. Fear becomes problematic when there is no danger and we are fleeing. Whenever, and I've said this before, it's worth saying again, I don't mind saying it. Whenever I get to minister, as many years as I have done it, probably 23, 4 years, every time, I have a bit of fear. I have asked my mentor and teacher, my husband, do you have this? He says, all the time, Jane. I said, really? Because I don't see it. He said, Jane, it's that part. That's the healthy fear that makes us know that we're still trusting God for the delivery and the output of his word. Because the letter kills, but the spirit, the Bible says, gives life. And I want to minister out of the spirit and set people free. So there's that, that fear. Is that healthy fear? Is that fear that when you're starting a new job or you're going to something new, you have a bit of a, a, that fear. It's tidy fear. It doesn't stay with you forever. It's caution fear. 
Do you get it? And then you're saying, God, I know you're with me. But even you are lay and normalize, if you can, I can say that that fear with God is with me. He goes ahead of me. He's behind me. Hallelujah. So fear becomes an issue when there's no, nothing fearful. And remember, fear is a state of being. It's not an event. So you feel it, but something, that thing hasn't happened yet. And throughout the Bible, whenever God gave a promise, it was always with fear. When he went to Abraham, he said, fear not, I'm your exceedingly great reward and your shield. He told the Israelites when they were crossing the Jordan, behold, stand still and fear not. Today you will see the salvation of our God. When the angel went to Mary, he said, fear not. For the Lord is with you and you have found favor and grace. Fear always accompanies every promise that is coming in the Bible. That's a healthy fear. Because God always gives tremendous big things to our hearts more than we can do. Let's look at Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1 verse 1. Verse 1, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' minister, Moses, my servant, is dead. <laughs> Do you think Joshua and the Israelites didn't know that Moses was dead? Why do you think? Have you ever thought why, why thinking the word, why God had to tell him again, Joshua, Moses, my servant, is dead? Because in the preceding verses in the last chapter of Deuteronomy, the Bible says that the Israelites wandered around the desert for almost 30 days and they wept and they mourned and they grieved for Moses. Grieving is a process. So now he came to them and he said, it's enough tears. And grieving is a process. I mean, we say in therapy, you never really get over that's the way that I have been trained, the death of a loved one, a sibling, a, a, a spouse, a parent. You don't. What you do is that you make adjustments. Is that, are you right hearing me? To your life in terms of your loss. That, okay, my mom is not here anymore. You know, but she led a good life. She ran a good race. I'm going to run my race. And you, so when I remember, that's how I think. So God reminded Moses is dead. But guess what he said? Joshua, arise. Because fear keeps you still. It doesn't want to make you move. That's bad fear. He said, Joshua, what? Arise now and take these people to the other side of the Jordan. Then in verse 3, he begins to demarcate the region of what he's giving them. Every place upon which the sole of your feet shall, shall tread, that have I given to you as promised Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, to the great river Euphrates, all and the land of the Hittites, the Canaan, the great Mediterranean Sea, on the west shall be your territory. God gives them this huge scope of land. And I, I shared it in the first service. That's like you, your dreams and my dreams. If your dream is not bigger than you, it's not a God-given dream. If you want to test your dream, check whether it's bigger than you. Something that blows, as they say, your mind away, then it's from God. He, these people are, are scared. And, and God tells them, you're going to take over all this territory. But look at what it says. Let me continue reading. Verse 5. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. 
Now, Moses was an amazing leader. And it was very easy for the people to say, to say or for Joshua to feel like, like me, when I used to minister in the early days, people, I would say, I am not Pastor Kofi. And I certainly cannot stand in his shoes. Do I admire him tremendously? What an awesome teacher. And he has trained me and he's training me well. But I'm not him. But God said, as I was with Moses. He says, just like the people saw that I was with Moses and he led them through the wilderness, so I will be with you. He says, don't be like Moses, but as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And then he says, no man shall be able to stand before you. It means people will try and come against you. Just like Moses, just like Joshua. But they will not be able to stand before you. Because why? I am with you. Fearless. So courage really is when we proceed in the midst of fear. Verse 6, but only you be strong, confident, and of good courage. For you shall cause these people to inherit the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only you be strong. When you count, there's about four be strong. And very courageous that you may do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Turn not from it to the left or to the right, or the right hand or to the left, I beg your pardon that you may prosper wherever you go. Verse 8. Verse 8 is how you deal with the fear. He says, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, that you may observe and do according to all that is written in it. For then you shall make your way prosperous, and then you shall deal wisely and have good success. The book of the law, the Bible, you know, sometimes I say to people when they tell me they have anxiety or depression or whatever, and they're taking medication, I said, take that. I'm not in a place to tell anybody not to take their medication. I said, but I take prescriptions of the word. I take, right now I'm taking a lot of peace tablets, morning, more than five times a day. Love tablets, I take 24 hours a day. God loves me. God loves Jane. God carries my picture in his wallet. I'm only, I'm God's beloved child. I'm the only one Jesus died for. I really personalize it. So I'm tight on love. Oh, very tight. Other things I might know, but love, I'm very tight. I know I'm loved and liked by God. So I take those tablets regularly because it says, this is how you face fear. You are taking in those tablets of the word. Because Jesus said, the words that I speak, God's people are not taking the word. We're not taking it in. You know, we're not taking it. He says, they are spirit and they are life. So it gives you long life. So though this outer man is decaying, hey, the inner man process is being renewed day by day because the inner man begins to affect this flesh. Then I said in the beginning of the service, I was not feeling well. I took in the pill and the prayers you said. So it's affecting the outside. I am a proof that the Bible works. This book works if you take it as your prescription. Then verse 9, he says to them, for have I not commanded you, be strong, again, be vigorous, ha, be and very courageous, and be not afraid, neither be dismayed, for the Lord your God is where? It's with you, wherever you go. So you see that God gives a lot of assurance, because he made us, and he knows the world that we, we're going to live in, but he kept us here for a purpose. 
But let me talk to you about how fear affects us. I was debating with Dorothy, because I always want to like to give diagrams and show. I said, should I be sharing this with the people? She said, it's okay. So I'm going to really simplify it, because I want you to know what happens in your whole system when you are afraid. You see, fear triggers more than 1,400 known physical and chemical stress reactions in your body. Fear alone is that one of the deadly three emotions. It triggers more than 1,400 physical and chemical reactions, and it activates more than 30 different hormones and neurotransmitters in your body. Neurotransmitters are the messengers that go back and forth in your body. So I'm going to show you, I'm going to, I've, I've asked the Holy Spirit has helped me, I believe, to make it very simple. So can I please have the diagram on the brain? Because I want to show you what happens when you have a fear that has no basis or has a basis. Can I please get the diagram of the brain? Okay, can you all see it? So the amygdala, it is what we call the alarm system of the brain. It is like this fire, red fire thing on the wall. What does it do? When we break that glass, we're saying fire, 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 isn't it? So it warns our whole system that there is an emergency. So this week, I'm not sure whether it was because of all the things I was talking about or because of that the devil began to throw a thought in me. So I'm walking in Green Park and I begin to get very hypervigilant. I'm looking behind me. You know, three years ago, somebody pushed me on the underground. And I, I said, oh my goodness, I'm not going to the underground again. I said the same thing that I tell my clients who have been traumatized because I helped to work through them. And the first day I went back on the underground after I was pushed, guess what? I was watching my back. So that's the, my alarm. So I kept watching my back in Green Park. That's the amygdala. So the amygdala says that we are in trouble. But then, the, the, then it, it sends for, for, for responders. Now the hypothalamus in our brain, which is situated next to what we call the pituitary gland, that is the emergency responder. It's the one that sits on the phone and takes the call. Do you, yeah, you get it? Takes the call and says, yes, what is happening, Jane? I said, there's a man following me in Green Park. <laughs> Something like that. The hypothalamus then sends stress responders. Stress responders come from our adrenaline glands, adrenaline glucocorticoids. They then rush to the emergency and say, how can we assist you, Jane? What is happening? Literally, I'm kind of making this easier for you to get. Are you with me so far? So then when it sends the stress responders, now the hippocampus, which is our memory place, the hippocampus has receptors on it in our brain which register the rise of the, neuro, of the neurotransmitter, whether the fear is really high or not. They register the rise of it. Is it very stressful? This is the receptors on the hippocampus, which is our memory part of our brain. So even though this alarm is firing, I'm still looking behind me. Guess what? The hippocampus and the hypothalamus, the receptors, looks at the situation and says, actually, there's not many people following Jane, only one person. We don't need to send more responders. Because that's what gets us having so much adrenaline sometimes, where you're so fearful. But sometimes the situation is very small. But the person who assesses this whole situation is the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex, PFC. And I'm going to break it down very simply. That is the place where you think, you assess, and reason. 
So that place says that actually nobody is following Jane. What do you think if that place to reason and think says nobody is following you in Green Park? What happens to the system? Calms down. But here's the thing. The PFC really is what we call your thinking brain. I'm going to break this down really well. So sometimes emotional brain hijacks thinking brain. And then you can't function. That PFC, the pathway to where you think and reason. It's a big word that I don't want to say, but it's called the intersincture cortex. It's the pathway through. That pathway gets compromised. Are you with me so far? By anxiety, depression, and by lies. So, tr- so lies and anxiety over worry releases so much of the adrenaline. So guess what? It ruins that pathway through. That pathway through, this is neuroscience, but it mirrors the word of God beautifully. That pathway through, guess what they say in neuroscience, can only be calmed down and healed if it has been damaged by depression, by anxiety, by truth. Truth. Because fear is very much a physiological thing. It starts with a thought. Man following Jane Bamford in Green Park Station. A thought. That thought leads to walking fast in Green Park Station. Do you get it? So it's, and then that call back, every immune system and cell in my body all sends messages back and forth. So when my PFC is rooted in truth, I know God is with me. The God of angels' armies is always by my side. He goes ahead of me. I begin to calm down. Truth comes as circuit down. Come to John chapter 8. So this is so important because I, when I began to learn these things, I stopped asking God why when certain people got sick or died. Because you and I don't know what we're doing in our inner life. So you can be going to the gym, eating well, but then all this is happening because all this happens at what we call organ level. Organ level. And I'm not a doctor, but I've had to learn this for the working of trauma because trauma, a trauma is an event that overwhelms your resources. One of the reasons why I experienced in my own life what I call panic at the time, even though it was panic, was I had a car accident as a teenager in Ghana. Listen to this. This is funny. Anybody who is African and knows about our countries will understand this. Had a car accident very near my house, sitting in a taxi. I was told it's somersaulted and flipped twice. It comes back on its side. I crawl out of the taxi. I dust myself. Then I cross the road and I walk to my house. Nobody asks me, are you well? Are you okay? Nobody to this day. (laughs) Beautiful thing, huh? Not beautiful when I tell you. But trauma is an embodied experience. I couldn't remember. My body remembered. So every time I got in a car going fast, I begin to get sweaty palms. So on the motorway especially, I used to grab tissues 20 years ago. Oh, God, oh, I'm going, oh, I'm going to die. Oh, ooh, ooh. It, it was happening at all over my body. <laughs> I know nobody has gone through that. Nobody in the first service ever has had a panic. I'm the only fearful woman on earth who has been delivered. That's okay. That's okay. That's okay. But are you, is this helping you? <laughs> are you in John chapter 8? <laughs> Come to John chapter 8. 
So fear has a lot to do with what we believe. Do you believe that God loves you? Do you believe his truth? You know, because the stress response makes the heart rate increase. It makes the bronchial airways dilate and open up more. And what that, the, the brain talks to the, to, the, to the cells all over the body, and they talk back to the brain. This thing happens, so it's not just a thought you are having that I'm going to fail my exams. It's going through, it's your whole body that is going through, if it's a negative thought. John 8. Oh, my time is almost, I need to finish this. John 8, verse 31. Are you there? So Jesus said to those Jews who had believe, believed in him, If you abide in my word... Hold fast to my teachings and live in accordance with them. You are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Fear, I told you, and anxiety disrupts that circuitry. What calms us down is beliefs and beliefs in what we know. So truth, that God loves you. He's with you. He's for you. Because lies... Also, lies and then anxiety and depression harms that circuitry. Then lies also. Lies began in the Garden of Eden. I don't have time to read it. Satan went to Adam and Eve and says, has God said? Immediately disrupting their security. That's why we have insecurity problems. And it's still there. Has God said? And then from that on began covering and shame. So lies have always been told. So even when we grow up in a rigid upbringing and we've been told lies, guess what? It ruins that circuitry. Only love can come and heal that circuitry. And John 8, that Jesus said, if you abide in my, and hold fast, we show that in Joshua 1, to my teachings, and you live in accordance with them, then you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth. Not just any truth. You will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. The Vines Dictionary says, to abide in my word means to dwell. Dwell means you live in his word. It means to settle. It means to tarry. It means to remain. It means to persevere in your faith. When you do that, then you will know. And that knowledge is a knowledge, the Vines Dictionary says, it is a recognition of knowledge or truth by personal experience. Then you know. Because I know my husband to a certain extent, guess what? I believe him. So when we don't know God, that is why we don't believe him. We don't know him like we think. We think we do. But if we know him, we will take him at his word. If we know you will abide, then you will know my truth. So when I say that I have lived this, it's because I have been on the motorway with what then I didn't know was panic attack, a breathlessness, and then declaring the word of God. So how do you deal with anxiety, worry, and fear? Let's bring this home. Number one, has this helped you so far? Thank you, Jesus. Number one, take your eyes off your circumstances and onto God. I'll give you a biblical reference. An example is Matthew 14, 29. Then when Peter saw Jesus walking on the water, Peter said, Lord, if it is you, bid me come. And Peter began to walk on the water, where? Looking onto Jesus. As soon as he took his mind off, what happened? He began to sing. 
sink and then drown. And then he said, Lord, save me. The Amplified actually says, save me from death. So anxiety, trouble over life circumstances will always be there. But he says, keep your eyes on me. Keep it straight. Keep it straight. Just keep looking at me and my word. Just keep it straight. He says, just stay focused. Just look at me. What's happening in your workplace? Just look at me. Just acknowledge it, what's happening, but look at me. Keep your eyes focused. Number two, I said that before, but I'm going to say it again. Become more aware of the powerful and abiding presence of the Holy Spirit in you. Become aware that he's with you. Number three is the big one. You have to engage all your soul. You know, I said your soul was your will, your mind, and your emotions. So your will is where you will, that I choose to believe God. Even though I have not received love in my life, even though my circumstances look awful and fearful, I choose to believe God. In Hebrews 11, verse 6, the B part, the Bible says, He that comes to God must necessarily believe that God is. If you're going to go to God, then you must. imperative necessity. You must be a God is. Then he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. You have to believe that he is. So you engage that with your will. I choose to believe God. Then it comes to what? Your emotions. Because in anxiety and worry, your emotions come to play. Some people, it's their chest. For some people, as somebody shared with me, it's their back. From when I had it, used to, it's my stomach. You begin to, I persist on the motorway. You know, I would travel on the motorway in those days over 20 years ago with, with my palms sweaty. I didn't even know, I had not studied um, psychotherapy then. So I didn't even know I was getting a panic attack. But breathlessness, my palms sweaty, I grab every tissue and, and I'm crying and I'm holding it. As I'm still on the road. I'm on the road. When you stay in the emotion, we call it habituation. That's what we use in, 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 in dealing with depression. The NHS is using cognitive behavior therapy a lot. It's very biblical. I'm not using this because of the NHS. It's in the Bible. When you persist with panic attacks and, and anxiety feelings, guess what? I will stay on the road. And I will stay in the, in the middle lane. And I'll be saying, God, you go before me. God gave me a scripture, Isaiah 52, 12, years ago. You know, that my glory shall be your rear guard. Do you know how I got that scripture? I was driving near our old home. Somebody hit this. A bus turning hit the side of my car. I was going straight. I immediately followed the bus, parked my car, and I ran into the bus and stood on the steps. And I said to the bus driver, you knocked my car. He said, oh, just get off. I didn't knock your car. Oh, my goodness. God's woman of paste and flour. I begin to cry publicly in front of the bus. Tears were just streaming down my face. So embarrassed. And I began to turn around. This English man just stepped to my side. He said, I'm your witness. I was behind you. I saw it. Then the bus driver said, okay, here's my details. And God took me to this scripture. I never knew it. I had it within me. He says, my glory shall be your rear guard. So on the motorway, you, or any fear, or any anxiety, or panic feelings, the way you master, we call it, you gain mastery. In cognitive behavior, we say you gain mastery by staying with the feeling. 
So I will stay with it. I'll be cleaning my hands. God is with me. He goes ahead of me. His glory is behind me. He's inside of me. I'm holy. I'm wall to wall God. Holy Ghost wall to wall. He's in front of me. He's behind me. He's inside me. What more? I stay on the road. Then guess what? The more you stay with it and you tolerate. This is done in therapy with clients. The more you stay with it and stay with it, guess what? The feelings begin to dissipate and subside. But it takes time. You've got to practice. Because the key with panic attacks, anxiety, you feel that your heart is coming out of your chest, something like that. Anybody who's ever had it, since nobody here has had it, I wonder why you're listening to this teaching. I hope you help other people this week with it. But I'm glad you're all healthy. But I have had it, not panic, but the palpitations and the sweaty palms. And then guess what? The more you tolerate it, the more you begin to calm down. Let's take the last one. Taking negative thoughts captive. Can I have my six people for the illustration? I need six people. You're supposed to know who you are. Line three here, three here. Quick, quick, quick. Vit, vit, allow. And my French is finished. That's the only French I know. Just stand in front of the people so they can see you. Remember I've talked about managing anxiety, worry, and fear. I have talked about... Where's the, the other person? Joe, just stand there, please. Uncle Joe. I have talked about that. First of all, know that God is with you. Don't look at your circumstances. Take your, put your eyes on God. Then engage all your soul, your will first, that your will that you believe God. Yes? You're with me so far. I want to make sure you get this. Then I talk about emotional regulation. Tolerate the feeling. Stay in it. The more you stay with the feeling, the more you get, you get over the feeling. I want to read you a scripture. I want to do an illustration to you. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 to 5. I'm going to read it from the NIV. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 to 5. I read it from the NIV. So it says this. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons which we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they are weapons that have divine power. That's our weapons. To do what? To demolish strongholds. Thoughts are meant, I call thoughts, little houses of thoughts that grow in our head and they become a stronghold of fear and panic. So the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to do what? To demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive and bring it to the obedience of Christ. So when I, I was doing um, CBT years ago, they used to teach that when a negative thought comes to you, what you do is that stop the thought. No, we realize that that didn't work. What worked rather is that you acknowledge that the thought is there. Nobody likes me. You acknowledge, just hold that to your chest. That thought is there. You are a failure, not you, the thought. That, that, that thought is there. Then, what you do, why am I missing one? The devil steals the bad thoughts in the first service. You will not amount to anything. That's the thought. What, what I was trained before was stop the thought. But let the thought, acknowledge that the thought is there. And then what you do is that the Bible says you take, every, because when every thought captive, 
When you acknowledge the thought is not there, guess what? What you resist, you listen to me, will persist. So acknowledge is there. It says nobody likes me. Then what you do is that you catch that thought. You capture it. Give me your hands. That's it. You capture it. When you capture something, guess what? You are delineating it of its power. You capture it. See yourself capture that thought. Just catch that thought and capture it. You, it means when you capture a thought, you are confining the thought. It's like getting an email that you don't open. That is a spam. What do you do? You don't open that email. When you open it, what? So you capture it first before you delete. You capture that thought first. Catch it and capture it. Confine it. Then you go and get yourself another thought. You go and get yourself a new thought. Before, it was like, oh, I'm not, I'm not bad. It's not there. It's there. But capture it. This bath, you just make sure it's out of power. You confine that thought. Then you get a new thought. I can do all things through Christ who empowers me. I know the plans that I have, I have for you. They're good, not evil, to give you a hope and a future. So you're not a failure. Then he says, well, nobody likes me for the love of God has been poured into your hearts by the Holy Ghost. And I'm out of time. Hallelujah. Get your seats. Thank you. Oh, I must, I must unchain these people, right? Oh, dear. I never worked in the prisons. I was going to get um, the one that they put on prisoners. What's it called? Handcuffs. I thought, what if I lose the key? And then these people... <laughs> and then I had a panic yesterday. <laughs> I thought, no. So, did you, those are helpful. I was chewing over this yesterday, chewing over it, and the more I read it, the Holy Ghost gave me that illustration about ca- catching the thoughts. So at first, I was going to bring my big trunk, put them in, and lock them up. I thought, what if they can't get out? Panic. You know, anyway, but that was helpful. So I want to pray for you that, you know, before I do, I want to sh- sh- share this, that neuroscience is having all this research which really is validating the word of God. They said the more truth before they said our brains were rigid, it could never change. But now neuroscientists are saying that the brain has neuroplasticity. It means it's pliable, it can rewire itself. Hey, but God already said it in Ephesians. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. That means in the place where you think reason and access. So whenever you're afraid, just think, emotional brain is capturing what? The thinking brain. And then you can't function. So you then hijack. You take that hijack off, and then you catch those thoughts. Catch them. Go and put them away. God bless you. Hallelujah. Amen. Let's pray. Amen. Father, thank you. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. And the freedom that's coming to the body of Christ all over. Even in the times that we live in, in whatever circumstances that we face, Father. That we, the people of God, will not be afraid. Because you're with us. Through every trial, every challenge. Even before the storms of life come, Father, I thank you. That you already know that you've gone ahead of us. You're behind us. And you are with us. Thank you for your people. That your word is healing, is calming down all the fear secretaries, all the inflammatory caskets, Father, are being healed by truth that's coming out this afternoon in the name of Jesus. Thank you that we will enjoy, Father, the abundant overflowing life that you died to give us. I speak peace 
once again to your center. I speak peace to your home. I speak peace to your careers. I speak peace to any circumstance in your life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. We trust you were blessed by today's message. And if you would like to sow into our ministry, you can visit our website to give a donation. God bless you. Make sure you subscribe to our channel to hear more messages.